How do you combat yourself starring in a porno? The unfortunately reality of that is technically there's nothing you can do. Deep fakes will only keep getting better. It's just the nature of the beast. Today we serve some of the largest brands that you can think of whether it's Netflix, Facebook, Google. We actually help them in doing their cybersecurity risk assessments. One of your big threats can actually be your own team, insiders. Oh, okay, wow. There's a very long list of hackers who just hack for fun. Today, thanks to ChatGPT, GPT is not new. People who don't understand GPT also could just go and ask a simple English question and get answers in a language that they understand. So that is what Sam Altman was able to get to buy these GPUs to go ahead and put that together, put words together and give you answers to questions. Most people don't go deep. Mm. Is where the problem comes into the picture. I started from the science side of things because I went very deep into science. I can see the limitations of science. Oof. What's going to be the nearest and next mind-blasting real-world application which uses AI and/or robotics? Sakit Modi is one of the best science and tech minds that I've had on the show. He's the founder of the global organization Safe Securities, which is one of the world's leading cybersecurity firms. But I know him as a friend of mine who has a passion for engineering. I know him as a friend of mine who boils very very complicated things down to first principles thinking. So while there's countless conversations about AI all over the internet, I promise you, there's very few people who can speak about AI and the threats related to AI and the possibilities of our near future with as much clarity as this man can. If you watched any of the podcasts that we've created with Sagid Modi, you'd know exactly what I'm saying. All I want to say is that a TRS All Star has returned. with an epic special to further our understanding about artificial intelligence it's saket modi on today's science and tech special of trs TRS All Stars back in this one. We have Saket Modi with another technological special. How are you, Mr. Modi? Very well. I, uh, the podcasting king of India. <laughs> uh, it's an honor to be with you once again. Thank you for having me on your show, Ranveer. No, well, thank you for being here. I think this is our fourth time. Um, <laughs> as I was telling you before the camera started rolling, there's very few guests that I get who can boil extremely detailed, complex concepts. down to first principles thinking and down to the basics so i think the audience we have here is uh, ranging between the ages of 5 and 75 so uh, it's going to be a fun conversation because there's so much going on about ai there's so many ai podcasts but uh, we're going to talk about the threats that ai will bring this is going to be a bit of an age of ultron terminator style conversation as well uh, but maybe we can just begin with a how are you what's happening in your professional life because now people know you as the cyber security king but it's been almost a couple of years since i last saw you yeah and two years is a very long time in your world uh, <laughs> especially considering the way ai is evolving i'm sure that's had a big role to play in whatever was happening in your professional life you know uh, in startups you have a you have a special metric to measure time which is called startup time what that means in a very simple way is that uh, according to einstein the theory of relativity is that 
time does move at different speeds depending on where you're actually observing time from. So uh, all I will say is that, yeah, being in a startup, uh, you know, it doesn't feel like two years because uh, it feels like yesterday I was with you here and you'd moved into your new studio and, uh, and, and, and look, you've done incredible things. We've been very fortunate also. So we've, we've done well, we've globally expanded, we've, uh, uh, you know, we, we've grown continuously both years, last two years, over north of 200% year over year. A good part of being a SaaS company is, you know, you're 85, 90% gross margins. You're, uh, today we serve some of the largest brands that you can think of, whether it's Netflix, Facebook, Google, Discover, MasterCard, some of the largest names around the world, whether it's retailers like KFC, Victoria's Secret. We actually help them in doing their cybersecurity risk assessment. So, so yeah, in short, I've been very fortunate. Bit of a rude question almost but have you also grown because these people are that much more threatened nowadays uh yes however they are more threatened because they are more digital what does that mean that simply means that if almost every business that you would talk about today which is large enough and aspires to grow at a pretty fast way uh cannot sustain itself if it's not digital you have to be digital. You can be a manufacturing company. You can be a retail company. You can be a automobile company. Doesn't matter. You have to be using technology. So the proliferation of technology and the attack surface from technology, uh, the explosion of data, the explosion of using techniques around technology. One of them being AI, as you mentioned, uh, and there's so much more, is really the reason why when the attack surface becomes that big by natural you know, course of action, there'll be more people who are trying to attack your new way of doing things. Mm. And therefore there are more attacks and therefore you feel more threatened. The last piece on those lines is hacks on technology 20 years back, 30 years back was only impacting your back office. If you think about it, right? Uh, most companies, for example, in India, some of the greatest services companies like TCS, Infosys, Tech Mahindra, et cetera, et cetera, they all came up because they were basically helping globally large Fortune 2000 companies with their back office operations, whether it's maintaining their ERP, CRM, building custom software for them, which is mostly back office automation, increasing efficiency. That's not what technology is today. Technology is a business enabler now. It is not just helping you in your back office. For example, for you, you might be using a particular CRM or an ERP, a tally or whatever, to go ahead and manage your finances. You use technology for that, but in your case, you're using technology to reach your customers, your audience, which is out there. And if your podcast gets hacked, if somebody goes to YouTube and gets takes over their channel, it's a direct impact on your business, on your brand that you can actually see. That's a very, very different threat than what was 20 years back. If you were only using Tally for your back office automation, and Ranveer, I said, are you worried about being hacked? I'm like, yeah, I mean, some of my data will go away, but you know what? I, that's not top of my mind. And that is the reason why there's a fundamental shift in terms of, you know, because technology is the business mm. for almost every vertical. Mm. Okay. So for people who are listening to you for the first time, I'm going to have a bit of a recap from the last three episodes that we did, especially with data points or sentences that actually apply to today's conversation, because uh, we are going to do a bit of an apocalyptic conversation today, as usual. So a bit of a recap. I remember 10 years ago when I was in engineering college, uh, there were ethical hacking workshops, which taught me that hackers and hacking as a profession exists. And once you have that capability, you can choose whether to go to the side of the light or the dark side. And there are people all over the world who choose either side. Now, as time progresses, 
hackers and their skills also get better but um now with the added impact of ai and machine learning i am assuming that the skill set as hackers has significantly upped the narrative about ai especially based on the conversations that we've had on the show is that the people who are in charge of creating the ai will hugely dictate how the ai functions in the world for example when you talk about this whole age of ultron or terminator judgment day style debate a lot of it boils down to who has actually programmed that ai software what is that person's moral code now assuming that some terrorists are actually creating ai i believe even osama bin laden had a phd uh, <laughs> he was a very smart man for sure yeah so say a very intelligent engineering uh, grad decides to let his evil side speak through the ai we'll need a whole side of cyber security and ethical hackers to combat that evil ai with a good ai that they've built out i know i'm giving you a very cinematic and uh, far fetched reality i think last time we spoke about personal cyber security shit like uh, if you're not uh, comfortable with something being leaked then it shouldn't be on your phone in the first place which is why you shouldn't send nudes to your friends my friends uh, and you shouldn't you should have complex passwords you should uh, any other small cues from the last time well more than complex passwords multi factor authentication so if you have two factors that's way more effective than even having a you know complex password technically you're in the world of cyber security you're providing security against threats mm-hmm. broadly speaking i think there are three kinds of threats to protect a company from or a government from or just any anyone from the first would be cyber terrorists who are trying to get into your system and maybe get some very important data from the government or trying to hack systems the second would be uh cyber criminals who are in it for the money like robbing a bank transferring cash the third would probably be a geopolitical rival who's again either trying to get data or hack your systems very broadly speaking are these the three uh dark enemies <laughs> in the world of cyber security or have i left out anyone very long list runveer so oh, okay, th- wow. think about it right uh one of your big threats can actually be your own team insiders right which can be insiders with malicious intent sometimes that happens you fired somebody and they were very unhappy but they were the admin of your youtube channel there's a lot of wrong things that can happen there it's not somebody external trying to hack you or sometimes can people can be doing things unintentionally with an accidental way oh my god i had the password and i gave it to somebody i left my laptop open with your admin access i'm just giving you some examples sure. right there's a very long list of threat actors actually there are people who would just not why just money there can be people who are actually for example uh there's a very long list of hackers who just hack for fun just fun like raw fun right so these are like ton of these cyber criminals they will want to make a statement for example right the russia and ukraine war started right there were a lot of people these were not state sponsored but they went to every key website of russia and they actually bought a lot of that down they there was this big hack that happened where the ride sharing app of russia was hacked and somebody ordered all the cabs at the same point just to make a statement that you know uh that so i'm just saying there are different motivations on why people hack right mm. and that can be very very broad spectrum which is there so i would say that you know there are various facets to it depending on what kind of threat actor you're talking about got it 
that last section we spoke about um you know where you said how a terrorist can actually utilize gpt i understood aspects of it but it's not clear for me right now sure uh, and i think to actually understand it with clarity i want you to uh explain how gpt works from a first principles perspective because then we can build on to how terrorists can use the same program that school students are using today for the sake of the school project uh so but let's boil it down to the basics uh i'll have a short at it based on what our common friend dr ritesh malik had explained on this very show which is that um basically a very raw way of understanding ai is you're trying to mimic a human brain but through building machinery now your brain is a collection of neurons uh which could be understood as um transistors or could be understood as yes and no gates like everything is in binary that's the basis of um how computers work in general now if you're able to simulate a software that is sort of like the human brain but inside a computer eventually you can feed it with a lot of data and you can train it uh in the same way that you train a baby i know i'm boiling down very complex concepts to basics but uh, i'm trying to hasten up the conversation so that we can get to gpt uh you train the software in the same way that you train a baby you say this is the color red this is the color blue this is the color yellow and eventually it starts recognizing different colors as that's red that's blue that's yellow very rudimentary a way of explaining it uh now if you're filling it with enough data it will probably evolve in the same way that a human baby evolves and grows up now the thing is if you feed it even more data eventually it can get the intelligence of a human adult which is what we are seeing with gpt or it can at least make itself be perceived to have the intelligence of a human adult um the reason this was difficult even though ai in theory was possible in 1950 was because of the hardware side of things because to uh get that much data you needed something like the internet you needed something like google and then to process that much data you needed high quality hardware for which you needed investments which is what took sam altman so long to do before gpt actually got launched for the public now before we move forward what would you like to correct what would you like to add comparing artificial intelligence to the human brain is like comparing an aeroplane to a bird let me explain you what i mean by that right when you think about designing the aeroplane right it is built on the first principles of how the bird flies right there's aerodynamics that you can actually go in you have the wings you have multiple of those things right the design of the plane when the right brothers were thinking about it was definitely inspired by that of a bird right but today if i ask you after uh, many many decades of commercial flying now and you know truly commercializing it uh and and making it usable across the society is a plane the same as a bird the answer is no a bird is a way more complex it is a way more sophisticated being because what you're thinking about a bird is what it can do to fly right and by the way birds don't quite fly the way planes do today because of the engines and the rockets and everything else there's a very different mechanics but 
are the first principles when it was inspired the same the answer is absolutely yes right exactly it is the same way in which when we thought about and this is where we'll start double clicking whether it's artificial intelligence or machine learning or deep learning in neural networks since you mentioned human brain i'm guessing you're referring more about neural networks because we have neurons and we have neural networks which are out there it was it inspired by that the answer is absolutely a yes right but today what neural network has become and what and how the brain actually works which by the way almost nobody truly understands right if you want i'm happy to double click there also because uh, because because when you think about the human brain also there are different ways of looking at that the first and the most obvious way when you talk about brain and intelligence for example right is what the oxford dictionary will tell you what is intelligence according to oxford dictionary the ability to absorb and apply knowledge mm. that's the definition that oxford dictionary gives you which in my mind is the lamest explanation that you can give to the word intelligence you come one level higher you get what say alan turing the father of he wrote this amazing paper uh called can machines think right and 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 this was basically machines and intelligence and he opens that paper by saying that can machines think and he actually made this thing called the imitation game where he had this turing test where he goes ahead and basically says that look the day a machine can replicate a human so suppose ranveer is sitting there i'm here as a human and here is a computer and you don't know who is what i have blocked that view from you every time you ask a question and you get an answer if you cannot be sure on who's a computer and who's a human that basically means that i'm able to imitate the other and the day it will happen that more than 70 80% of the times so you will actually decide wrong who's a computer and you and the, the the computer can mimic or imitate that it is a human being that is where he said computers could think which again in my mind is a very shallow way of looking at intelligence right if you want to come one step even deeper one second so did chat gpt qualify for that turing test no not only qualify they crushed it right so obviously and now that test is no longer even spoken about like was it the first time that that test actually got answered because i'm sure this must have been developed in theory this was 1950s right but it happened in 2022 well it happened way before that so it's not just chat gpt what you get to see today is because it's become very popular right ai if you actually go back to ai neural networks for example uh one of the very popular applications of neural networks and uh, nlp was actually in the 1980s and 1990s where people were using nlp to very simply click a picture of a checkbook and see what is the amount which is mentioned out there when there were postcards which were sent from one place to the other in order to process thousands of postcards to know the zip code of what things are it was very simple to go ahead and do that what i'm trying to get towards is that you know when you talk about natural language processing when you actually talk about machine learning it's been around for a while 
the change which I'm talking about, that one big moment where everything changed. In fact, generative texts have always been there. They used to be called RNNs, which is recursive neural networks. And it had its own limitations. They changed the game forever with that white paper called Attention is All It Takes, which was basically written by Google and University of Toronto. And these are the people who went ahead and completely fundamentally proposed a different architecture on how you can actually go ahead and design the neural networks and then process the words in a sentence, giving weights to the relationship of every word to every other word within the sentence itself. And using that, you actually create a vector graph where you actually put each word and then basically, again, I'm simplifying this, based on the distance of two words, that's how you train the model, you're able to go ahead and provide a generative text which is out wow. there. But again, you, you explained deep engineering here. And uh, I mean, you basically explained how sentences are formed, perhaps even in a baby's head. When a baby learns to speak English, the first words you understand are me, he, she, then dog, cat, three letter words, and you go to four letter words. Eventually, in first grade, usually they teach you sentence formation. Yeah. What is sentence formation, but a combination of the different words you've learned till that point in order to create meaning. Yeah. Now that's the school version of it. But actually when you're at home and your parents are speaking English, you kind of automatically learn to process how to combine words in order to create sentences in order to transfer meaning. Now this is what a computer is doing. No. And this is exactly where I'm trying to get towards. Okay. Right. This is exactly the seduction of because I can speak good English, it is not implied that I'm an intelligent person. Mm. The seduction is when you meet somebody who's well-dressed, can speak and has a command on language, you automatically imply that the intelligence of the person is pretty damn high. Because so, you're wired to think like that. You're saying computers were able to create sentences for a very long time, but there was a eureka moment. There was a eureka moment for sure. And there have been not one, but multiple eureka moments, okay. right? However, the limitation of what you just mentioned, right? Of how a kid can take letters and then make words and then understand the cognitive meaning of each one of them and then produce that with intent, with curiosity. None of that actually happens in chat GPT. So what I'm trying to get towards it, and when we restarted by me telling you how bad it can be with GPT or AI, where you don't need to be an AI engineer to be able to use AI for bad. But I'm now going to tell you the positive side of it to what you just mentioned, right? We, unfortunately, because if I get you a robot which looks like a human and can talk like a human, we are biased to think that they are an intelligent being like humans. Mm. ChatGPT is none of that. ChatGPT doesn't have, and this is the problem that I have personally with the word artificial intelligence. The moment you bucket all of intelligence into what GPT or neural networks do today, what you're doing is unfortunately and probably unconsciously, you are basically eliminating the possibility of what is true intelligence. For example, your brain, right, is not just 
glorified version of what you've read all your life there is so much more that you create as creativity remember we were talking about definitions of intelligence we spoke about the oxford dictionary definition mm. we came to the alan turing definition which is out there if you go one step higher and you look at uh if you look at freud's definition of intelligence and it's very funny that he actually doesn't directly define intelligence what he says is the way the mind is constituted and he was very big about conscious subconscious and unconscious mind and the unconscious is the largest part of the brain which is out there and he says that the states of the mind is what dictates your intelligence right so that is that which is a way better explanation of intelligence you want to go one step even higher than that look at how patanjali defines intelligence you know patanjali the god of you know yoga he had he has these four books i know everybody does yoga it's very unfortunately that they they they've not read the books but there are four volumes of something called the yoga sutras and by the way those four books are not about funny poses it's all about the mind because according to patanjali the meaning of yoga is the cessation of mind and then he goes ahead and defines what mind is all about he says there are five parameters the reason i'm using air quotes here is because i don't think there's a good word in english to actually define what he says but for simplicity's sake i'll call it five parameters of the mind the first two are slightly more controversial but the third the 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 last three which will be very easily understood which i think is a very easy mapping to 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 what we know in in english is uh, he says number one is intelligence sorry imagination the second he says sleep and the third is memory so he says that between imagination sleep and memory are the three parts out of the five parts that he defines so what chat gpt does is a smaller version of imagination and memory there are no mentions of the others and again i'm the reason i'm giving you examples of all of these people because if you think about what truly chat gpt is it's a glorified form of compressing all the information which is out there into these parameter files with weights that you apply based on the training that you've done and based on the training that you've done there and the parameters you've applied it basically goes ahead and does a v lookup in other words it does a lookup if you have a big excel sheet right you want to look up a particular data in a particular row or a column it will do a very smart v lookup and give you where and how things are for example it's very unfortunate but the way i'm again super simplifying this right when i said parameters 70 billion parameters 170 billion parameters what are these these are basically every word that you can think of they are placed on a multi dimensional uh, i'm simplifying it because i don't want to make this super complicated but they are stored on a multi dimensional uh you know coordinate system for simplicity's sake imagine there are only two dimensions x and y So what happens is imagine if the English dictionary has 20000 words based on every single training for every line that has been written on the internet it will say every time the word ranveer was there the po- the word podcast was almost always there so there is a weight there is an attention between these two words which are very close to each other so in the space i'm simplifying it to make it two dimensional it will store a coordinate called ranveer 
and it will store a coordinate called podcast right and then all the training that you will keep giving it just keeps throwing all the numbers in in other words the actual you know words it's actually not words you convert that in numbers but again we don't have to get into like super technical details so it is storing every word as a coordinate on that particular graph and then every time you train it with more data it goes ahead and then looks at the relationship between the attention weights it's called the attention weights between these two points or what you are prompting and then it gets you something which is the closest attention for that particular word with some other word which is out there chat gpt is not creating things which are coming out of intelligence and again this will go back to what is the meaning of intelligence and let's define that if you want i'm happy to double click there but that's what i said that if you go into all of these things and put things together you will see that what is coming out from there is a dimension of intelligence it is definitely intelligence but it's a, it's like it's like you seeing a black and white movie and saying this is all there is to experience in life that's it you want to see the sunset you want to see actually be there on a beach and experience something no see a black and white movie and just call it this is all that there is to experience it's it's not a very smart way of looking at it my question to you is actually about sam altman and chat gpt i'm assuming that sam altman knew about this rewriting of llms and thought to himself hmm maybe i could create the next big company in the world uh very quickly if we could go over kind of a birds eye view of sam altman's journey in creating openai what did it actually take to create that company because i'm sure there were other people trying to do this for decades what was different here so i will give you the high level view ranveer because sure. um, as a as a geek and a nerd right i'll give you the details around uh the technical breakthroughs and what enabled this to happen right now what i have not been uh, following very closely is the specifics about what happened internally blah 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 i do know this that openai was never a company it was a not for profit company well it is also a company but typically you say company generally that implies for profit right so openai started as a not for profit right one of its investors in the early days they raised a billion dollars was elon musk right so there were multiple people some very very incredible in fact uh, i think at that time the ceo of infosys uh, uh vishal sikka was one of the investors in openai right so what i'm trying to get towards is that there is a lot of people who came together to say that look ai needs to be solved and needs to be solved for for the right ways and doing the right things and it doesn't need to be solved to become profitable it needs to be done so that you're doing well for humanity right now well or not well that's again part 2 if you want to double click on because they created a super powerful tool right now a lot of people will use that unfortunately for the wrong reasons and a lot of people are using it for the great reasons also so coming back to what you mentioned right let's talk about llms right just so that because you talked about the evolution right and just so that everybody understands this right uh artificial intelligence is the superset within artificial intelligence then there is something called uh machine learning right 
within machine learning there are various kinds of you know machine learning that can be there supervised machine learning unsupervised machine learning all your google ads that you see uh, sorry uh, your google news that you see right that happens from clustering which is you know the the uh, the, the uh, unclassified uh, or non supervised machine learning which is out there but coming back to say the supervised machine learning side of things right that within supervised machine learning is where llm fits where you're actually supervising how a particular machine is learning a particular thing now before i even go there let me take like 2 minutes to say how can even machines learn how does that even make sense right because machines and like you mentioned right a lot of people will talk about say transistors or you know things around that but what is really going on right so let's just talk about that for a few minutes just so that and then we can go to llms because the application of that is inside llms right so I'll tell you first of all right when you talk about machine learning right so the two types of you know things in supervised machine learning and I'm super simplifying this right because it's all, all audience are here right so first is purely something called you know regression and the second is called classification now don't worry about the actual terms I'll give you an actual example right regression would be something as simple as if you were to predict the success of a podcast what will be the variables that will go into it the length of the podcast right is the topic contemporary or not you will also see the person who's coming in how popular are they you will have various kinds of parameters to go ahead and predict arguably whether this podcast will be successful or not i'll keep it very simple for now length of the podcast and how successful in other words how many viewers will it have right so on the x axis if i just plot a simple graph on the x axis is how many viewers will a podcast get and on the y axis i simply say what is the length of a podcast can i say that there is a relationship where the lower it is probably the higher number of users will, or higher number of viewers not too low also if you make a one second podcast nobody wants to see that right so there will be an optimum thing and there is a curve that you can draw mm. to say based on so many podcasts you've done this is the most optimal curve to get x number of views y needs to be the exact duration right in the future suppose the way we are having a free flowing conversation you say okay i know that i exactly needed 43 minutes of podcast which is there to hit the optimal sweet spot but you know what the conversation with saket was really good and we went to 55 minutes right so let me see on the same curve where will this fit in to say suppose it is 55 minutes how many viewers can i expect are you with me till here it's very straightforward number of uh the duration versus number of viewers right and there is a graph that you can make around that that graph every time you get a new user new podcast can i say can potentially change slightly why because there'll be a new dot on the graph which says again based on the actual duration oh this did very well while the duration was very high so there'll still be another dot there but the line that you've made that line you want a line which will cross most if not all the dots that you've created using your podcast the tuning of that line is called machine learning it's as simple as that 
I'll take, I'll tell you again, one step slightly deeper. Again, I'm super simplifying this, where if you remember in the school, when if the very basic algebra, right? The equation of a straight line was y equals mx plus c. Super simple, right? This was a straight line that you could draw on a two-dimensional graph, which is out there. Now, what we always were told was for any value of x, you will get the value of y. That's the meaning, right? Here is a line. Give any value of x, you'll get the value of y if you know that equation. We always thought m and c, which were constants, were constant. It's only y and x which is actually changing. In machine learning, you tune the m and c. It's really that simple. Again, what I'm trying to say, I'll take a step back. If you think about a line, think about how many variables are there. y equals mx plus c. For any given value of x, you get the value y. m, which is basically the slope of the line, and c, which is supposed to be the intersection with the y-axis, were always supposed to be constants. Now this line can be any line on the graph. But suppose your, remember the example we took, which was the duration versus how many people who are, uh, uh, you know, how many people actually watch it, right? In that, the line can be moving slightly on the right, slightly on the left depending on more data. So the more data you provide, the line adjusts towards left and right. And how do you adjust a line? By changing M or C. So you're basically plotting reality onto a paper. That's what machine learning boils down to. When you plot the reality, and this is supervised machine learning, remember that. When you plot the reality, you are getting a curve. Hmm. Now that curve, you can use any value of x on that curve, right? A good example, which everybody uses, right, is let's take the house price versus the size of the house. Can I say the higher the size, the higher the price of the house generally, and I'm simplifying this, this is linear regression, like super simplified. There can be multiple variables, right? Which locality, how many bedrooms, blah, forget about all of that, simple. House size versus house, uh, you know, house price, right? Suppose in this area of Versova, right, you get 50 houses and their sizes and their prices plotted on a very simple graph. So when you plot that, in general, you'll have as the high sizes go up, the prices of the houses are going up. So you will have dot, 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 you'll probably have 50 dots. And you will have one line that is close by. Not accurate, but close by. If it's a straight line, it'll be close by. Now, the tuning of that line is what you're doing with every new dot. Because this thing called the loss and the cost function, where every time you get a new dot, the line slightly moves. And that moving line, the final line which is coming, and every time you get, oh, here is another 100 houses and the data for 100 houses. So now I can move the line more so that the distance between the line and the majority, if not all the dots, is the least which is out there. That's the cost. You reduce the cost between every new data. So now, forget about the data that you already had. If you're a travel, uh, you're a real estate agent, and you say, okay, now I'm looking in this, this society, uh, a house with X square feet. What is the corresponding price of that house? You just have to look at that graph and say, okay, for this X, which is the size of the house, the Y, which is the price of the house, should be this and you can accurately now i've super simplified this because it doesn't always is a straight line 
you can actually make it a curve because house prices will not increase infinitely with infinite, you know, they'll actually become flat beyond a point and you can't even get houses which will be beyond a particular size, etc, etc. And then, you know, out there also when you actually look at something called logistical regression, uh, when you do classification, whether this podcast will be successful or not, right? Whether this is spam or not, whether you know, it'll rain today or not. That's where you use something called the sigmoid function, where the output is always zero or one. Right now, the output was regression, which is like, it can be any price for any given size, which is there. I have to pull you back to Sam. Sorry. <laughs> because ahead. I understand what you're saying, but people will tune out and all this. Got it. So again, since you said, that was machine learning. Let's now come to LLMs, which you were talking about Sam Altman, because he used that for GPT, right? So in 2017-18, right? Remember all of GPT, is based on natural language processing, NLP. NLP is not something new. It has been around for a very long time. It used this principle called RNNs, which are recursive neural networks. What does it do in a very, very simple way is, again, it would do the same training which I spoke to you about. It was a neural network. However, it was unidimensional. So what it'll do is, Ranveer likes to, and almost every time it will tell me, do podcasts because it has learned enough places where the relationship for the next word which needs to be predicted and that is recursively coming in and it was very very linear in nature the thing that that, that got changed again i'm super simplifying this that change with the paper which was attention is all it takes that changed this because it says instead of thinking about relations of word from one word to the other to the other if I write, Ranveer likes to do podcasts, and I write the same line on the parallel to say, Ranveer likes to do podcasts, there is a attention weight between every word that I can draw between Ranveer on the left side, because think of this as written in two, two, two lines, Ranveer, and Ranveer, Ranveer, Ranveer likes, Ranveer do, Ranveer do podcasts, right? And then... It basically increases those weights as you keep moving forward. This is going back to, remember, we are talking about training the model, training that actual particular line which is out there. So it basically goes back and looks at those weights and adds those weights together to then go ahead and create this huge parameter file which is there, which is not just in two dimensions, it's actually, you know, 512, you know, vectorized way of storing every let, uh, every word and you get things from there. With everything that you've said till now, this is what you're saying was Sam Altman's edge in terms of... This was not Sam Altman, this was open, this was done by Google, believe it or not, not even Microsoft, not even Sam Altman. Now, this paper was open, mm -hmm. people could use this all the time, that's not a problem at all. There came a lot of companies, for example, Hug and Face, right? They actually made the transformers available as a library to use while coding. That was super, super simple, right? So there were enough libraries which were created. What Sam Altman did very well was he actually used this algorithm and then trained that because this algorithm was not meant, at least initially when it was designed, Google was thinking of using this, which it did very successfully, and it uses this today also, for Google Translate. So when you translate from English to Sanskrit to Hindi, whatever, that is what it was using. What a application of this happened with Sam Altman OpenAI was that, hold on, if I am going ahead and converting something, because the weights which were out there were actually not English and English. It was English and French, English, and therefore those weights. What happens if we just replicate French with English itself? 
So if you do English and English, you will be able to go ahead and forecast or predict the next word depending on the angle or the distance between those words which are which are stored in that particular space and that becomes the next word generation it is not coming out of an if and else statement or an intelligence from that way i mean this is still intelligence but as i said it's a it's a one dimensional intelligence of basically compressing a lot of data storing it in a very very intelligent way with the weights that's why i said parameters and weighted dictionaries what i said and once you store that once you ask a question or you are saying complete this sentence, it simply goes back and looks at the weights, gets that data, puts that together and gives you the answer which is out there. That is what GPT has been doing and that's what that's what Sam Altman did. And, and it definitely was a phenomenal thing that he did. But again, as I said, this is a unidimensional, you know, intelligence which actually comes into the picture. And... The last but, but what did OpenAI do different versus all the other companies which are trying to do the same thing? There were almost nobody which was trying to do this. And I'll tell you why I'm saying this, right? Taking that algorithm and trying to generate text out of English is something that a lot of companies can totally do that. There are two big things which happened. Because of that white paper, recursive neural network, which is the old way of doing NLP, was very linear. So even if you gave... 10,000, you know, uh, CPUs or GPUs, right? It would still go from one word to the other, to the other, to the other, to the other in creating those weights and in creating those mappings which are out there. The new architecture, which is what where Transformers comes into the picture, that's where, uh, you know, attention weights comes into the picture, could actually allow you to go deep into the relationships of every word with every other word in the same sentence. Now, what that allowed was... Think of a movie going from black and white to three-dimensional, not even two-dimensional. Firstly, for before that, like 30 seconds on GPUs. Most people, hopefully, at least, you know, the younger people would know GPUs. What do you use it for? Gaming, right? GPUs, NVIDIA always has been the number one when it comes to getting great because what is required in a great game? Parallel processing. What do you need? You need, you need the, the whole scenery. You need the character you need me taking up my hand shooting killing whatever right all of those things happen in parallel you can't say okay i clicked on it now something will happen to just that one pixel or that one person and everything else doesn't change no that's not how gaming works gaming was all about parallel computing like right? when you're playing fifa each of the players that you they're see the moving everywhere are... exactly and it's hmm. happening parallelly right so if you're playing fifa you have 11 or you know, 10 players whatever it is and each player has its own intelligence, which is out there and they're, they're playing things which are out there. So NVIDIA, which was the king of GPUs, right? Not knowingly, this was not a you know, thing that NVIDIA cracked, but because of the white paper, which says that in order to get these attention you know, weights, now you can parallelly process the whole internet and get weights for each one of them. And to do that, you already had extremely advanced uh, GPUs from NVIDIA which was out there. For the sake of gaming. For the sake of gaming, exactly. So they, they applied it in artificial intelligence. Exactly. That is the reason NVIDIA today is a trillion dollar company. Mm. Because knowingly or unknowingly, uh, you know, now, now to NVIDIA's credit, they have phenomenal technology for parallel computing, right? That's the multi-threaded computing is what, you know, NVIDIA is known for, right? They created their own thing around CUDA, et cetera, et cetera. But the point I'm making there is that applied to this new research that came up, 
applied to normal processing of data, which is out there for English, and then being able to provide things together, that coupled with the last, if you look at the last five to six years, we've created more content on the surface internet than what we had in all of the last 50 years combined. Which is obvious, right? Look, we are just creating content. Everybody's creating content from the phone. So when you look at all of that and you put all of that together where so much data came in, right? Suppose this research was done in 1950s. Would we get open AI? The answer is no, we would not. Because of two things. Again, the infrastructure, the compute of the infrastructure, right? Every GPU, and just so that you understand the math also, A100 is the name of the actual GPU, which is very popular, used for LLMs everywhere, right? Uh, Facebook will today have between 10 to 20,000 GPUs, right? Um, you will have, you know, like all these big, like uh, yeah, OpenAI has actually used north of 20,000 GPUs. The Indian government just said publicly that, look, we want to set up an infrastructure of 25,000 GPUs. One GPU costs approximately 10 to $15,000, which is eight, to 12 lakh rupees each. That's one GPU, right? Facebook will have around 15,000 GPUs which are out there of A100s. And most of that is created by NVIDIA. That is the reason why the whole thing has gone up and shot up like crazy. Their stock price, it's a trillion dollar company today because it's become the foundation of what is required to train a neural network. Once you train the neural network, you can run that particular set of parameters and the actual program on your, on your normal laptop. The training is what is the most expensive part. So that is what Sam Altman was able to get. He had a lot of funding. He raised $1 billion as a not-for-profit to buy these GPUs, to go ahead and put that together. And so he got the GPU. He obviously had the clear web information, which was already available out there. I don't know if you know this, but so... so ChatGPT was already prepared in 2021 and 22. They could not launch it because of multiple issues from a perspective of saying, we've indexed the whole internet. What, what about security of this? What about the ethics of this? What about this being misused? What about if we've indexed something which was copyrighted, right? Because this is not something which you're doing as a human. When you talk about 10 terabytes of content, right? That is not a small number. And then, you know, you just you just keep amplifying on top of it. And it's not possible for a human to do that. Although ChatGPT does do manual labeling because after pre-training, you need an LLM model to produce more accurate results. And for that, there is some human intervention which is required because that's too generic when you take 10 trillion, uh, sorry, 10, uh, you know, the, the, the 10 uh, uh, terabytes of information which is out there and we put that together. So the point I'm trying to make there is just one that, you know, that is how ChatGPT became super popular because when they did that, opened it up to the world, the floodgates opened and uh, and yeah, they, they truly changed the world. Okay. Can we for a moment sort of personify the underlying technology that governs ChatGPT? Can we say that they have access to this being Mm -hmm. That's constantly getting smarter. Yeah, so my problem is with the word being. Uh, that's where we were going back to the understanding of intelligence, which is so much more, right? There's a nice story about uh, Walt Disney, where uh, in one of the Walt Disney theme parks, they created a stunning looking uh, bird. And uh, he goes there and he... You know, he looks at it and says, I'm not convinced about this bird. 
he said that once he said that twice he thought through it like for weeks and people said okay we'll change the color we'll choose this blah 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 he said i don't know something feels wrong and finally what one of the designers came up with he basically made that bird have a motion which actually made the heart of the bird beat so you actually could feel that something is happening and now he says now this makes sense mm. so it feels real the reason i say that it's still not real but it feels real the reason i say that to what you say is being there is so much more to a being than somebody who can just put words together and give you answers to questions so that is my problem with the word being i think this is a great point in this podcast to bring in agi mm-hmm. uh agi artificial general intelligence you can explain from a very abc perspective what is it uh dif- be- be- because the conspiracy theory is that this whole situation that happened with sam altman being ousted from open air the conspiracy theorists believe that uh they had finally how do you phrase this hit the point of creating agi so a <laughs> couple of points there right uh if agi was there uh what is it okay yeah let's start from there right so again if you div- broadly divide artificial intelligence into two parts artificial narrow intelligence and artificial general intelligence artificial narrow intelligence is what right when you are doing this recording and this is a great microphone it actually is intelligent enough to go ahead and reduce noise by itself that's intelligence right but can it go ahead and suggest you recipe to cook food the answer is no right so that's a very narrow intelligence that this microphone and its firmware the software actually has today which makes it a very very good microphone right so that's very narrow more general intelligence is more leaning towards something which basically says that look the more broader way where you can answer and not just in terms of text and that's again where i i i i know there are some people who now say okay it's artificial super intelligence and therefore they've created one more layer above that but it basically means that you're at a point where people can or machines can think i still think the missing area is that yes they can think again depends on how define the word think but they're not curious see let's understand that this word also because it's important to at least understand this in the case of agi uh there's a really nice line by albert einstein which says i don't have any special powers i'm just passionately curious this is one of the greatest and the most intelligent minds that have walked this planet in the last 100 years saying all i have is curiosity right today none of the llms that you know about are curious they're doing whatever the user demands yes and not just the user demands what their creator has designed them to do if it is to predict the next word it will do that if it is to reduce noise that is going in while i'm talking on this microphone it will do that that's the meaning of being narrow now what are the odds that you know they hit on agi and therefore sam altman was asked to leave and he now he's now come back and maybe agi will happen why is agi a big deal agi is basically a human a machine which can think and act like these super intelligent people whether it's albert einstein whether it's you know anybody anybody who's who's big out there that's typically what you would call as a agi and again the 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 definition is blurry 
for a simple reason. There's no one definition which says, okay, because Alan Turing thought the definition was simply mimicking a human being and confusing the person who's going into the test uh, or taking the test saying that, look, am I a human or not? That has been beaten long back. That was an easy test to beat, right? So any definition that comes in today, instead of giving you the definition, I'm telling you here are the most intelligent humans that have walked this planet. Till the time a machine cannot be as curious, in the words of Albert Einstein, till that time, AGI is not, not there. And since this conspiracy theory around uh, saying that, oh, it was Sam Altman and he discovered AGI or whatever, right? And therefore, <laughs> so it, it's, a, it's, it's a very funny thing. I'll tell you why, right? Ranveer, if you are, if you are, say, how many subscribers do you have on YouTube? Astronomically large. Exactly. <laughs> I love that, right? Give me a ballpark number. <laughs> Cumulatively about 25. 25 or million. million. Perfect, right? Now, if you were at 24 million today, and three weeks later, Ranveen has not said anything, but most probably his thing has gone to 25. That's a very real, very doable thing which is out there. If your podcast had today half a million users, right? And I say... Ranveer suddenly got 25 million users, right? Probably they're fake, first of all. <laughs> That's the only other way it can happen. But on the other side, the point there is that from AGI, from actually going there, we are so far away. We are not even at base zero. While that journey will probably be at like, you know, base number 100, right? So we're so far away, there's no question uh, of going ahead and, you know, thinking about, oh, AGI has been cracked. It just doesn't make sense at all. I want to ask you a lot of questions related to the cybersecurity when you're dealing with deep fakes. Mm -hmm. um, how do you actually combat that? How do you combat yourself starring in a porno? <laughs> so a couple of points about deep fakes, right? Uh, deep fakes will only keep getting better which is a given, right? As text generation is becoming better, uh, picture generation is becoming better, video generation will also keep on getting better. That's just the nature of the beast. Yeah, that okay. has to happen, right? Mm. There's just no two ways about that. Forensically, are there tools to go ahead and detect certain types of things which are happening? The answer is yes, there are. But as you said, right, if your face is used in a movie which you don't like, right, what do you do about that? The unfortunate reality of that is technically there's nothing you can do. I can give you some small hacks here and there. For example, if you look at a deep fake, at half the speed, you will see a lot of frames have not been filled in with the kind of details that a normal movie that is being shot, it will flow naturally. Mm. So if you see something at half the speed or one third the speed, it will not be as densely populated. You probably won't be able to see that in the normal thing, but just slow it down. That's, that's theoretically possible, right? However, for a normal person, right, to be able to go in and just being able to see that, whether this is deep fake, not deep fake, you saw some friend of yours in a video, which you like, hold on, is this true or not? It's very, very difficult. There are some websites which help you with that, but how do you know the authenticity of the website? And the worst is, when you upload a video and the website says, this is a real video. And that's not because, that's not because they know it's real. What they can at max know based on their algorithms, this is not a deep fake, which might not be superset, which might not be there. There be other ways to generate deep fakes, which they don't know about. Legally in India, there is no law for deep fake, but there is the Indian IT Act. 
where if you impersonate somebody, there's a section, the 66C and 66D, under which if somebody is impersonating you and going ahead and misusing, you know, or misrepresenting you in any shape or form, doesn't just have to be a deep fake video, you can totally be booked under that section. So that is there and you can go back to that. But, you know, we don't have like a law around deep fakes, which are, and it's not just here. It's not there in the US or anybody anywhere else, which is there. But this thing about jittery videos is probably also going to get solved. <laughs> because jittery videos basically means lesser frames per second yeah. which i'm sure absolutely a computer will be able to do over time 100% so and and not only that you you shot something here and oh my god saket the frame was too tight i need to fill something in beyond that hmm. that's also an image generation problem right it'll just take the image it looks like a wall it looks like a football okay i think on top of it will be a ceiling it just has the intelligence again limited intelligence to be able to go ahead and create that that's very normal what kind of chat GPT will we see in five years time? Unpredictable? Well, I would say, you know, the way you think about chat GPT or AI in general is like comparing it to electricity. Right? See, when electricity was invented, right? If I asked you that question at that time, where do you see electricity in the next five years? What would be your answer? Everywhere. It will change every industry, every home, every, every business, everything. Today, if you don't have electricity, can you even think about being in a place where you don't have electricity? That's crazy, right? Sounds absurd. That's how AI, more importantly, then ChatGPT has its own, it's a company and there's whatever, it can keep coming up and down, whatever. I'm talking about AI as a principle, AI as a future, right? That is bound to change every single thing that we have. It's like electricity. It will power everything which is out there. And that is the reason why, you know, I was, I was, in, a, I was in, a col in a college a couple of weeks back and they were like, can you give us some career advice on this thing? And I said, you know, the one advice that I'll give you if you're getting jobs or an interview, talk to the company about what they do and how do they do things. And in their pitch, if you don't hear AI, run away from that company. Oof. Yeah. It's that bad because, and, and I would go one step further. Forget about just the pitch. You want the proof. Okay, you're talking about you're using AI. Show me how you're using AI. Because if it's like this, electricity is invented. You're doing business without electricity. Chucky P. Singh, right? Oh, wow. So do you want to go to a place which is manual or a place which has started talking about electricity, even if they don't have it today? It's that easy of a litmus test. Just ask, what do you really do? Go to their website, see. If you don't see the word AI, don't even talk to them. The inverse of that is also true because somebody talks about AI doesn't mean that they have it. So you want to double click and understand, you know, what is, how are they using AI, blah, blah, blah. But at least it's better than somebody being totally oblivious about electricity which just got invented and I'm still, you know, using an old, old model of doing work. Um, hmm. Will open AI topple Google as the world's most used search engine? I, I, I personally don't think so for a simple reason that uh, the most difficult thing to change in the world is human behavior. And human behavior always by design resists change. 
if OpenAI's answers were a thousand times better and Google was doing nothing about that and you will not get those answers there at all, it would force me to go from one to the other. In fact, there's a really nice book called Crossing the Chasm by Geoffrey Moore. And uh, it actually says, how do you go from early visionaries to early majority? And it says the only way to go from early visionaries, which is the first front tail of the whole crossing the chasm, you know, the thing that he draws, to early majority is to go to pragmatic buyers, because early majorities are always pragmatic buyers. They don't want to change, right? And go to pragmatic buyers in pain. Now, with Google, and you need to understand how Google is designed. Google and Facebook are two fundamentally different companies of how they are run. Or Google and Tesla. Tesla, Facebook, they all are run in the same way. Apple under Steve Jobs was run in that way. What, what is their way of doing things? Move fast and break things. Google is not like that. Google was built by a team of PhDs, right? It was, it was basically Sergey Brin and Larry Page uh, studying a, a, under Motwani sir in UC Berkeley where they wrote the first algorithm. And it's more, I would say it's more balanced where Google doesn't need to be the first one to do something. That's the DNA of that company. It will test things. It will do A-B testing. It will, like before, uh, before Google rolls out a new feature with a new color, it will have 20 shades of blue, suppose, that's what it's trying to roll out, tested by 1 million users each. Apple on the other side will be like, this is the right blue because Steve Jobs is thinking this is the right blue and just roll it out, right? So you can actually, you know how, how big of a team created the iPhone? Can you take a wild guess? 28 people. 28 people was the total team. It was, used, it was called Purple, uh, Project Purple. And that's why it was. Google is very, very different. To get things done in Google, there's way more resistance which is out there. And that's by design. I'm not saying one is better than the other because uh, Google is also a very large company and so is Facebook and others. So because something is first by design, Google doesn't have an issue with that. It would rather take a step back because keep this in mind, these algorithms were actually built by a Google engineer, right? It, and, 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 and the whole thing, because they obviously understand it extremely well, which is search. Now, it was done very quickly. And again, full credits to the OpenAI team. And they went ahead and they launched it. But I would say a year, two years, three years down the lane, if people get similar, if not crazily different answers from Google and OpenAI, and it means my behavior to change, to go from Google to a different website, which I don't know about, which is not integrated to my other apps and other ecosystems which are out there, I probably don't want to do that. Unless it's like I can feel the pain. Oh my God, every time I'm asking, I'm asking something to Google, I'm getting the wrong answer. And here I'm getting the right answer. That means you have a pain, right? Pragmatic buyer in pain. So if there's pain, then you go the other side. If not, this is the first side which matters. How will the big tech companies actually use AI? Coming back to your question about everyone should be using AI. Now, these guys have obviously been using it for years for multiple purposes. But I'm asking you a more futuristic sci-fi style question in terms of if you're Sundar Pichai now and you're seeing whatever is happening at OpenAI, what do you tell your core leadership about where you want to take the company in the next five years? You know, for the big tech companies, the question is not about how do you use AI. The question is how do you become AI? And let me explain you the difference between the two, right? See, Google has been using AI forever. 
every ad that you see is actually given to you using supervised machine learning algorithms of what is the probability you will click on something and given what is your search history given your emails given all the data that google already has about you this is something that google has been using ai forever so now sundar pichai is not thinking about how do i use more ai it is using ai in pretty much anything and everything which is out there right whether you know it whether you don't know it right some degree of intelligence absolutely out there the next evolution is now becoming an ai company where ai becomes the business not the business enabler but the business with gemini that they just launched now they are selling that they are saying you can use our models train it based on your data and based on that you're able to go and do things that's exactly what open ai is doing see think of these llms meta or facebook has taken a different route they said i will open source it i will give this to everybody i will train it and then people can use that play around with that maybe they like us because we are so open because microsoft and google are closed you can't see the source code of open ai chat gpt you can't see the source code of gemini right but you can see the source code of llama 2 which is the facebook's llm which is out there which is totally public and it's a it's a quite it's a quite powerful uh, and very well trained uh, you know model which is already out there so the point i'm trying to make there is that if you think about it like these companies are now in the business of selling platforms on which people can build a parallel of that is what happened with the compute models with aws azure and gcp see aws amazon's business was not compute its business was selling on a website right i mean they're getting buyers and sellers on the same platform right suddenly when aws became so big right which is like the demand shot up like crazy because they introduced a new concept of flexible computing which is you pay for whatever compute resources that you use because amazon already had that for the black friday sales that they used to do every year but that was for one week and the rest of the week the compute was useless so they said okay you know what we'll just open this up and we can run this as a project and became so wildly successful where compute became the business today aws is a 2 trillion dollar company or amazon is a 2 trillion dollar company not because of amazon.com it's because of aws and the kind of free cash flow that that produces so the point i'm trying to make to you is ranveer that because compute became the business and then azure saw that microsoft saw that said oh my god i also have big data centers i will also go in the cloud business google saw that oh my god i have google cloud i will do that exactly the same thing is now happening to ai So Sundar Pichai's boardroom and the and and his leadership is right now not talking about where can we can apply AI. That's a given. That's table stakes. If you don't do that, as I said, you'll die as a company. But the next big evolution is really how do you reinvent Google to be seen as an AI company? Look at Tesla's, uh, you know, uh, the 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 quarterly earnings call, last quarterly earnings call, which was there when Tesla's stock went up. it's basically elon musk coming and saying i'm an ai company now right look at mark on, zuckerberg on what basis oh he has arguably one of the largest sources of telemetry of car data vehicle information he's putting all of that together right our common friend dhawal who who goes ahead and you know obviously helps put this together on the machine learning side of things out there and if you look at all of that coming together the 
sheer raw amount of data in the telemetry that that Tesla has is unlike any other car company on the planet because Tesla has around nine cameras. Every time Tesla is moving, it's recording from those nine cameras which are out there and it takes different kinds of things from those camera and throws that into the neural network and then it produces the output, what it's supposed to do, understanding the intent of where you need to go and then decomposes that into, again, the, the, the form of neural network of what, what actions need to be taken. Does the steering need to go left or right? Does the acceleration or brake needs to happen? Right? So the process of creating a self-driven car mm -hmm. gave them access to a lot of data over... The last five yes, years. Yeah. Now they're using that data to become an AI company. Correct. And selling it to other car companies who no, want to. No, not at all. Why do you need to do that? Just the sheer insights that you can get from there. And then produce that to make the world's most intelligent self-driving car. How do you earn money from that data? Think about it, right? If Tesla can crack the most intelligent self-driving, it can produce every Tesla without a driver's seat. Mm. Think about what happens with that. Every Uber that you see on the road gets useless, right? If you think about the fact that you can let somebody go in your car and not have them to drive and say, you can watch movies, you can listen to Ranveer's podcast, or you can do whatever the hell you want. How many people would like to be in that car? Hmm. Way too many, right? So the point I'm trying to make is there's too many things that can be done. Again, and this is where I'm going back. The platform is what everybody is chasing to become. These are highways, right? So the infrastructure, and by the way, will they be the companies which win? Not necessarily. When the, think about it like this, right? When refrigerators were invented, tell me the greatest refrigerator company you know in the world, Keventers and here and there, we probably don't even know the names, right? When refrigerators were invented, it was not the refrigeration companies that won. Who won? The beer companies. Coca-Cola won. Pepsi won. You know why? Because now when you could take a Coca-Cola which was chilled, it takes the sales and that skyrockets. Right? So because somebody made the fundamental infrastructure, I told you Google was the first one that actually made this paper, attention is all it takes, right? In an ideal world, Google should have been the first one hmm. to come up with ChatGPT, but that did not happen. So somebody creating the platform, now everybody's betting on the platform because even that definitely will be a big deal, but then there are applications on top of that that companies are right now using. Every you know, thing that you can talk about, whether it's high-frequency trading and financial services with banks, healthcare, and you know, completely revolutionizing how healthcare works, anything, retail, et cetera, et cetera. First principles of business just make human life easier. You'll become mm -hmm. richer. Absolutely. So we're at that point, like for example, you gave this Tesla situation where now truly self-driving cars with only three seats could be a possibility instead of the four seats. Anyway, my, my point. Well, the good news is you can still have four, four seats. Four seats. Everyone faces each other. Exactly. No steering wheels. Mm. Uh, are we on the brinks of a robotics evolution now? Uh... So it depends on how you define evolution, right? There's a long way that we've come in robotics. And again, I think the, the unfortunate part of robot, robotics is every time you see a robot which looks like a human, you think that they think like a human. And now with ChatGPT, it's super easily integratable into a robot. They're like, oh, that thing looks like a human. That thing talks like a human. I think it also is thinking and feeling like a human. 
and that going back to black mirror is uh, is 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 such a dangerous place to be that's not because that just means that either you don't understand how humans truly work or you don't understand how machines truly work one of those has to be true actually both of those has to be true because even if you understand one you would know that how wrong the other side is so 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 unfortunately that's the case with most people they don't really understand how humans work or machines work in a true sense and that is the reason why we start to think oh because i'm getting some 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 answers here it means that this is deep intelligence which is coming out which in my mind is not not very accurate mm. but also you are in that 1% of the 1% of the 1% that understands the engineering of these things therefore you are able to break it down and see it for what it is but 99.99999% of people just perceive it as a scene from the jetsons happening in real life now where you have a robot at home which is like a butler I think robot is still a butler so I think I you're ac actually accurate in terms of uh, thinking that there is a robot with a butler which is totally today I think is already happening there right but thinking the robot will take over the world right is oh. where my problem comes okay. in okay so the right? apocalyptic narratives <laughs> that doesn't make sense to me okay but the application based narrative of course absolutely and any company that's why I said I've gone to the extent of saying that as a young person if you're working in a job right now and your company you've not heard your ceo talk about ai quit today it's that bad i remember this very clearly in 2004 okay okay a relative of mine showed me a touch screen phone for the first time <laughs> and it blew my mind it i was like okay this thing that you're holding in your hand you can actually control with your fingers yeah uh dear gen z's before that you used to have to use buttons only <laughs> so to see a touch screen phone for the first time was just mind blasting i think seeing chat gpt for the first time was pretty mind blasting as well yeah totally gpt3 for yeah. all of us for yeah. everyone 100% what's going to be the nearest and next mind blasting real world application which uses ai and robot and or robotics i don't know <laughs> so, <laughs> so that that I don't know about but you're absolutely right in fact uh, Bill Gates when he first time saw GPT this was before it was launched he said there are only two moments in my life that I clearly remember and I knew that this will change the world the first time when I saw the Macintosh with the GUI mouse. imagine computer GUI is the mouse yes so with the mouse you had the graphical users inter user interface where you could move the things and you like Oh shit now I know that everybody will be able to use it right he said this is my second moment in life right because everybody can use ai so that's what i'm saying it is an ultra 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 powerful tool but it is a tool with its own limitations and to what you said if 99.9% people don't understand it the problem is that is where when you extrapolate that and you start thinking that look this can do anything and everything that is not the case it is very very limited there's a lot of stuff which 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 it's totally handicapped uh in not being able to do but what if you give it 100 years i'm saying you give it 1000 years if you give a 100 years to the dog you just got will it become a human mm. i'd read a yuval noah harari book a long time ago which i've reread many times it's called mm -hmm. 21 lessons for the 21st century it's one of my favorite books yeah. cuz it's packed with that much information yeah he spoke about ai this is way before gpt uh and he said that people assume that it's all the blue collar jobs that will be replaced by ai when we say oh jobs are going to 
uh, get replaced. But a lot of creative jobs will also definitely get replaced. And then once GPT came in, we're actually seeing that. Totally. Whether demand for a graphic designer's work has slightly reduced because you can generate a lot of images on uh, chat totally. GPT. Um, he didn't talk about art and images. In fact, he used it as a difficult problem to solve. He said that the problem that will be solved in creative domains is music. You'll be able to create a lot of music because music can be broken down into numbers very easily. This much frequency, this much amplitude. So he said that out of all the creative fields, it's actually music that will be replaced pretty easily. We've seen elements of that. There is some AI generated music, etc. But he wasn't able to predict like these graphics and all. But that one chapter got me thinking about how mathematics is everywhere all around us. Uh, even images are basically mathematics, which is why I personally think that if we can process that much data, maybe we are sitting on the brink of a science fiction revolution, which is the basis for this whole podcast. <laughs> but you're the expert, like you're, you're actually sitting in Silicon Valley and working on these problems. Yeah. So are we on the brink of a re revolution? The answer is, I think we just saw one with ChatGPT for sure. But uh, as I said, that the distance between what you see in movies, by the way, even what you see today with ChatGPT is what you saw in Minority Report in a lot of ways, mm. right? Mm. And you're able to see that. Mm. But again, that ap apocalyptic, that, that oh, evil intelligence or super intelligence, which is able to do anything that you ask them to do and, and create anything you want and... I, I was I was joke I was I was like just uh, you know I was looking at this and somebody was saying AI is so so dangerous if you tell AI that make me nail cutters and it runs out of steel it will start using humans to create nail cutters and like <laughs> some crap right it just it basically like tells me that unfortunately because that gentleman who was talking about has no ideas about how AI works right is the reason why he or she would even talk about something like that, right? Can you code something in AI where it actually goes ahead and goes beyond the initial ingredients and then tries to think through different ways of making a nail cutter? Maybe yes, right? But it's not like, oh, because this is gone. Because there's no intent. There is no curiosity, which is there in AI. The intent is of the person running the AI. And that's why I said, it's not AI replacing humans. You know, a lot of people have said this. It's humans with AI, which will replace humans without AI. That is the big thing which is which is happening. Bottom line of this podcast <laughs> and the end of the podcast. Thank you, Ranveer. It's always a pleasure to come and talk to you. This is the fourth of maybe four billion conversations that we'll have with <laughs> Saket Modi in the future. Based on where technology is going, there's just so much happening. I'm I'm not running out of a job soon. Is what <laughs> <saying>. <laughs> uh, any signing of notes? Uh, let's use AI as a tool to truly amplify uh, and basically augment what we said, the bicycle of the mind, that's exactly what AI is. In true sense, Steve Jobs thought of that as personal computer. I still think that was limited. This is true meaning of augmenting a lot of things that you're thinking. But thinking that this will replace emotions, this will replace human intelligence or downgrading human intelligence is a, is, is a big mistake that a lot of people will do. And this will actually take away from what could be an incredible tool that could be used to take a step towards that. But I'm assuming this is all that there is as intelligence and this is artificially being created. I think we'll miss the boat and uh, 
and 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 i hope that you know people get to see that sakit modi looking forward <laughs> to speaking to you again thank you for your time good thanks sir thanks for having me here ranveer thank yes. you lots of fun thanks that was the episode today ladies and gentlemen you know when i'm creating these kind of podcasts my personal compass is always a little bit confused about whether i should make this lex friedman style and go hyper deep in the science and tech or make it joe rogan style and kind of make it a little more general and that's actually what i'd like for you guys to help me with through the comment section give me feedback on these conversations what would you like to hear more of also of course send in guest recommendations also of course follow saket modi on all his social media platforms he's a leader in his domain and i feel indians like this who are earning respect earning credit on a global stage need to be celebrated much more by our country first and foremost if you're an international viewer watching this podcast please go check out our massive library of different subjects that we've encapsulated in the four years of running this podcast i'd say that for the indian listeners as well trs will be back soon saket modi will be back on trs very very soon and until next time guys keep learning because the only true path to happiness is through curiosity Thank you.